Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. Hello and welcome. And each and every week, it is my divine pleasure to bring you this wonderful uh, podcast that can be downloaded at any time, and that is the beautiful part of having a radio show on um, in a blog format. So I thank Blog Talk um, because it's just really worked well for me for the last five years to have my show in this format. I was used to traditional studios, and you know, to me, it's just amazing that people can come to this website, which is BlogTalkRadio.com. Um, forward slash Cindy Meyer to reach um, to reach my page, and you can download over 450 different interviews that I have done with incredible front runners um, in the area of mind, body, and spirit. So um, it's just it's just a treat. Now to tell you a little bit more about myself and um, the magazine until my guest arrives, um, Spirit Seeker Magazine has been published for 20 years. We've been online, um, published online for um, 18 of those 20 years. So you've been able to read Spirit Seeker at spiritseeker.com, and um, we were kind of ahead of the game, and that was because I just had wonderful people supporting the um, the vision of Spirit Seeker when I, you know, things were just barely starting. So I just want to thank all of those people, CJ Martis, especially Wayla Skinner, um, they and, and Deepak Sharma have been my um, web web people that have just taken me to new levels and reaching greater amounts of people. I'm not the biggest techie, um, but I am a visionary. So the magazine has um, ha- supports conferences all over the world. Um, we will be at 12 different conferences in um, the U.S. in the next three months. You can find us in any Whole Foods in Kansas City, St. Louis, and Chicago. After that, you can... Um, get an uh, an email to your email box um saying guess what this is who I'm interviewing Cindy's interviewing on the radio show this week and the magazine is online um so if you send us an email to info info at spiritseeker.com we will be glad to add you to our email list we do not sell it but we let you know about wonderful fabulous events that are happening all over um the country I'm just filling a little bit of air until my um guest who's calling in I do believe from Australia today or We'll find out in a moment. Michael's all over the place. Um, he is a, I, I can't wait to interview him. He is one of the uh, most amazing people I've interviewed in all the time I've had the show. Um, okay, so who is Cindy Meyer? Cindy Meyer is a life coach who has extreme intuitive gifts. So many people call me for readings and then, um, oh, and here's my person, Michael, I'll be right with you. Okay, so so people call me for readings, and the next thing you know, we're doing deeper work with life coaching. And I'm a feng shui consultant, and I have the gift of sight. So um, that's what I do. And I'm a real estate agent at this point. So I use my gifts of sight and my coaching to help my clients, whether they be life coaching clients or real estate clients or spirit seeker advertisers. It's all the same. We're all one and 
part of the whole deal. Okay, so I'm going to um, bring my guest, Michael, on now. Remember, though, this is my last plug for Spirit Seeker. If you want to be added to our email list, we do give away prizes. We do drawings from our email list because we get so many books and CDs every month that we review. So info at spiritseeker.com. Just say, please add me to your list, and then who knows? You might be receiving um, an email saying, we have something to mail to you um, because we like to bless people. Okay, so let me see if I have Michael. Michael, are you there? Well, I certainly am. Oh, fabulous. And I apologize for the technical difficulties, but here we are. Here we are. So, um, so Michael, where are you calling from? I can't remember. Are you in Australia, or where are you right now? Just outside Berlin in Germany. Oh, that's right. That's right. I remember this. Okay, so you have been really, you're on your world tour, and I'm just going to read a little bit about you, but then we're going straight into um, just, we can't wait to hear your wisdom. So, so who is Michael Rhodes? He's an author. He's a spiritual mentor. He's a catalyst. He is um, a person who teaches about love in the highest vibration, and I get goosebumps when I even mention it. He was born in England in 1937. He discovered at an early age that he had an uncanny ability to, that just came naturally to communicate with nature and to go beyond linear time and space. So as a young person, he he already was going bridging those worlds. He immigrated to Australia in 1963, where he was a beef and dairy farmer and prominent in the early organic movement, way before other people even knew what it was. He wrote the first book on organic gardening in Australia, which was an immediate bestseller and should be on in everyone's household at this point as our lives are changing so rapidly with people um, not understanding um, the importance of organic versus GMO. That's my soapbox. Okay, after becoming spiritually awakened in 1986, Michael wrote about his metaphysical experiences and has since published 16 books translated into several languages. He, um, in 2014, marked his 23rd year of traveling around the world, giving profound and hugely popular talks in five-day intensives. And this was all from this man who learned to talk to do to, to travel to time travel and do different things and Michael I'm going to just mention a few of your tours you've had public tours in Australia New Zealand Norfolk Island South Africa the Netherlands Italy Switzerland Austria Belgium Germany France England Ireland Scotland Denmark Sweden Norway the West Indies USA, we are lucky and blessed that you come here, and Canada, Singapore, Romania, and Japan. Now, all of that from this man who is a farmer. So let's hear the story of just, I know you had illnesses that, that you had a lot of things that um, were challenges that you turned totally around. So, Michael, it's, your, it's, it's all yours, and I'll every once in a while I'll ask a question. Well, whew. I mean, listening to this, I wonder who this guy is. It sounds a lot. Well, you know, I emigrated. I I grew up on my father's farm in England, and um, he he. I was twenty. I married at twenty-one, and we had a couple of children. And um, then he died with cancer, but he had no will, so we emigrated to um, Tasmania rather than fight with the family over money. We emigrated to Tasmania. I was at, we were ten pound palms. This is my late wife and I. Um, we were ten pound palms. That means we did the whole journey. Kids were free, ten pounds each to emigrate. 
Today it would cost you, I don't think you could do it for 10,000 each. Anyway, and so I became a farmer in Tasmania. I bought a, we bought a farm, and I wanted to be a beef farmer, but it didn't happen that way, and I became a dairy farmer for economic survival. And uh, it was on the farm with the cows that I began to realize that the way that everybody did everything as regards to farming wasn't the best way that worked. And um, so I used to go out in the paddocks and sit down and ask questions. And the answers seemed to arrive inside me somewhere. And so I then w would live them. Well, that's the whole trick to this, living what you learn. And um, I began to change the way of my way of farming. And uh, I had an article from a woman named Bruce, Ruth Stout in America, who probably long, long dead. And she talked about organic gardening and growing tomatoes organically. And so I did that and it worked. And then I decided to try it on the whole farm. And so I devised a method that could turn the farm into an organic farm. And I became one of the leading organic farmers of that time. We're going back a long time, like 40 years or more. And, uh, but the, as a farmer, it began to change me because I changed the method of farming. But there's more going on than farming. It began to change me. And I had some sort of fairly remarkable experiences that had a profound effect on me. One time I was out in the... Um, out in the pastures, and I was watching, um, I was laying on my back, watching an eagle. It was lunchtime, and I was having a sandwich, and I was watching an eagle, but I noticed everything was very silent around me, unnaturally silent. And uh, the eagle was hovering over me, and naturally enough, I thought, well, wouldn't it be something to fly from, to see from the eyes of an eagle? And so I was suddenly... It was like an inner movement, and I was suddenly looking down from the eyes of the eagle, and I could see myself very clearly, and I was aware that I was looking up at me. I could see the farm very clearly, and uh, I was looking, that piece of land was near a forest, and I could see where the cows went in the forest. But then that vision changed, and I could suddenly see, like as though there was a deep gulf across the farm which I called immediately the gulf of separation. And I was on one side and nature was on the other. That's how it appeared to me. And in that moment, I felt that it was my life to, check, to cross that gulf of separation between nature and myself. And uh, it took me a long time to cross it. But in the crossing, 15 years in fact, it took me. But that took me away from farming. It took me into a jet traveling around Australia with my wife and four children now. It took me into beginning a community, um, creating a community, and then eventually out of it. And it took me on my, on my sort of journey because I found that when I eventually, 15 years later, crossed the gulf between humanity and nature, or myself and nature, which was humanity, I found that it also... When I, when I crossed it, there was no such thing as a gulf of separation, but I also knew you had to cross it to know it wasn't there. And it also bridged the gulf between identity self and soul self. And so it was a rather profound experience for me. 
Now, would you like to come in with something here? You know, Michael, I interviewed you several years ago, and you told that story um, of how you became one with that eagle and were inside that eagle and looking down at your life from a total different vantage point. And I have sent more people to that radio show just say, just go listen. Just go listen to when he and the hawk become, or the eagle rather, he and the eagle become one. And listen to his voice and listen to how remarkably that changed him. Because it was, you know, when you talk about it, it's like all of a sudden everything gets quiet, for me anyway. Everything gets very quiet and I, and I just feel you one with that eagle inside it, looking down at your life. And how, you know, we we all, not we all, but, you know, we have, many of us have these, some people call them epiphanies, some people call it this cosmic conscious moment where, you know, kind of everything changes, but that definitely was a pivotal point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly was. And so, you know, what happened in the next 15 years? Because... That was your wake up, but when you say it took 15 years to get to where you were going, what was the next well, part of your journey? It wasn't exactly my wake up. My wake up, um, my path to waking up was pain and suffering. Stupid path. You never believe how many people still follow it. When I was um, 40, I was with a, a higher being. And I said to this being, I really don't want to play this game anymore, pain and suffering. I'd like to be enlightened, spiritually enlightened by 50 or dead. And the being looked at me for a while and um, sort of nodded. And then I came out of the experience and I thought, oh my God, what have I done? But I'm in Aries with Scorpio rising, so it rather suited my nature. And I found then the next nine years were the most painful years of my life because Subconsciously, I had a program of um, pain and suffering, which is a subconscious program of probably 90% of humanity. And uh, so to reach this point where I wanted to be, I, I went through pain and suffering to get there. But when I got to a place where I, um, the pain was too great, the suffering was too much, my body was too sick and too hurting, and I found that I couldn't do it. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't find this place where um, enlightenment sweeps over you. I expected that you would climb a mountain, and at the top of the mountain, some angel would tap you on the forehead and say, okay, you've made it. You can now go home and be St. Cream Cheese or something ridiculous like that. But instead, I think I was at the deep bottom of the deepest pit I'd ever managed to dig, and I did dig it. And so the outcome of that was, there was a particularly crucial moment, and uh, I was looking in front of a, sitting in front of a mirror. I couldn't stand because I, I was in too much pain. And I wanted to look into the mirror and say, I love you, and I couldn't. And then the, next to the mirror, there seemed to be like a doorway. And I knew that if I could walk into that metaphysically, that was death. So I'll just skim over this. I couldn't walk into it. I had to let go of my children. That that was difficult. But I managed it. Still couldn't step into it. Then I had to let go of my um, dream of being um, enlightened. That was easier to let go of. 
still couldn't walk through it. And then I had to let go of <clears throat> my late wife. That I managed. Difficult, but I managed it. I'm just skimming over the surface of this. This was an oh, experience where I'm sitting in terrible pain and um, completely beaten. And I'm 49 and three months. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, I just took a drink. Okay, that's okay. And I, uh, I just didn't know where to go from there. Then I had to let go of, of God, and I somehow managed that. But then I had none of these times as I let go of these things that I walked through that door. And then finally it came to me to let go of me. You know what was really got me in all that time while I'm struggling with this? Fifteen years of knowledge that I gained was completely out of reach. I couldn't touch it. It was useless. And we're so, we're so conditioned to, into our intellects to learn to gain knowledge and feel that knowledge will open the doors to us. And now I learn... You know, now I know that mostly knowledge closes the doors. It doesn't open any. And when I say knowledge, I mean intellectual knowledge. And so I had 15 years of knowledge of all the books I read at that time, and it was absolutely useless. I couldn't, I couldn't use any of it. It was just in the next room, as it were. It wasn't there. It wasn't immediate. I couldn't do anything with it. And then finally I had to let go of myself. And I struggled with that for ages. And then finally I realized, and I had this sudden deep realization, I don't exist. This identity, this is just an identity. This is an illusion, a body with an identity. This isn't me. I'm not sure who I am, but this isn't me. And with that realization, I could step into that doorway. And instead of dying, I, I became alive for the first time in my life. And that was my moment of spiritual enlightenment. And ever since then, as I began to, began to travel a world a couple of years later, one of the things I've realized in an ever-growing degree is that how everybody looks for knowledge, and knowledge is not the way it is. We all have within us a sufficiency of, we have lifetimes of deep inner knowing, lifetimes of wisdom, but the intellect is not available to the intellect. The intellect can't access it. The only reason I went through what I did and woke up as I did was because I surrendered. I reached a point there was nothing I could do and all my knowledge was useless and I completely surrendered. And in that surrender, then I made the discovery of who I am and experienced that. And so still today, people want the path of, um, of knowledge. You know, tell me more, tell me more. Let's go to a higher level. Let's learn more, let's learn more. And it's a complete waste of time. The, everything we need is in the moment. We're just never there. So the path I teach today is, is unconditional love, emotional balance, and the meaning of life, and how to be conscious. That's really what life is about. And today, uh, and, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, as a now, as a man in my late 70s, I feel fitter, um, stronger, healthier, and uh, certainly healthier than I was in my 50s, early 50s. You know, every year I seem to feel stronger and fitter and better. Um, this aging thing, well, I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. 
This aging is like a cementing of thoughts, a concretization of thoughts and emotions that just slow us down when everything inside you lives in the moment in a fluid state of connection with all life then that, um, that concretization doesn't take place. And you know what? Knowledge is the thing that does more concretizing than anything else. Once we get to that state, well, this I know. Once you hear those statements, you might as well walk away. Walk away because that person's in their own prison and they've created it. Right. You know, it's just, it's so interesting because um, in the U.S. culture, we are... What, what do you do for a living? Um, what, where, what, what, um, it, it, there's these questions. And in St. Louis, I have no idea. Everyone wants to know where you went to high school. It is just the most crazy question. And people that aren't from here make a joke of it because they're like, and no, I didn't go to high school in St. Louis. Ha ha. But it's like almost like um, a way of defining who you are, like what education system you had or, you know, but none of it matters. None of it matters. I mean, as a, yeah, I mean, as a child, you know, I was the reader in my family, and, you know, I would walk two miles to get to this bookmobile that would come in the summer, and I would bring back 10 and 12 books and carry them because I was a voracious reader. But my what reading did for me, I don't know, even more than classroom studies, but it took me to other places. I read about all the saints. I have no idea why I was so drawn to it. But as a little girl, I could tell you about any saint, you know, St. Teresa's. I, I just read everything I could. And I think it was because even as a child, I wanted to know how how they reached those states, if you know what I mean. Like, how they yeah. how were they... Yeah, how did it happen? And, and you know, I was a nurse for a long time, and uh, we've talked about this before, but, you know, I've broken a lot of bones in my body. And it's like, what was that about? I was like, what was that about? And when I got to the other side, what I realized is that, and someone someone helped me understand this, like for me, helping, letting people love and support me, when I was very independent was hard, but when I was injured or sick, then I could let people help me. So I had to change that whole pattern, Michael. I had to like, like what you said, I had to surrender and say, this is no way to live. This is no way to ask for help. This is ridiculous that I can't do that on my own. And once I surrendered and got through it, it it was like, it's very similar to what you described. It's like, you just live in each moment and appreciate each moment. Yeah, I agree. I also, it's interesting, I was a voracious reader as a child, and I used to like reading Greek and Roman mythology. I loved the heroes who did deeds greater than humans could do, and all of what things they did, and I used to dream of what I could do. I had no idea then as a child. I think I put the most of the Greek uh, mythology heroes, I somehow maybe superseded some of them, but of course... You know, they did what they did, and it was it was interesting times. I'm still a voracious reader. But I read now to, um, because I don't, I don't read to gain knowledge. I read to, uh, to... I like reading, for instance, science fantasy. I like reading other people's experiences with their imagination, the worlds they imagine, and what they create. And I realize that most people... Um, have no understanding of what imagination is. A lot of people think that imagination, they say, oh, you imagined it, it isn't real. 
but they don't realize that all the great mystics, the great saints all through the ages used imagination to open the doors because it's imagination that closed the doors, the prisons that we put ourselves in. Gradually, we became a culture that imagined I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. And um, the, the walls began to close in on us. We had parents who were fairly critical of what we could and couldn't do. And so as the walls began to close in us, like I was a kid at school, bottom of the class all the time. And so I grew up and my father had introduced me. This is uh, my brother. This is Christopher. He's a clever one. And this is Michael. And so that closes a lot of doors on him. And yet when I grew up and I took my oldest son to a speed reading course, I joined it. And I came out, all the others were, were school teachers. And I came out so far ahead of them, it was ridiculous. And then I read a book, an American book, Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. Oh, Maltz. yes, yes, Maxwell Maltz. Okay. Yes, yes, 70s, yes. What is, must be donkey's years old. Anyway, that book, I read it, speed read it, then I slowly read it, then I speed read it, then I slowly read it. And I realized this is about somebody like me. I'm in boxes. So once I realized this, I began box smashing, and I break box after box after box. And the only box I didn't break was the one of pain and suffering. And then finally, of course, that one broke when I realized, when I wake, woke up and discovered who I am. And so today, when people say, you know, what do you do? I look, I would smile nowadays and be inclined to say, as an immortal being who lives forever, what would you like me to do? I mean, what does it matter? Um, people are, are so... They want to have letters after their name. And uh, oh, I remember giving a talk in Australia and this hoity-toity man came up to me and he said, so would you mind telling me where you're educated? And I looked at him and I said, yes, I passed through Cambridge. And he was very, very impressed. I didn't tell him that I passed through Cambridge on a, on a push bike and on a bus and in a car and all sorts <laughs> of ways because I lived in Cambridge. So I passed through it multiple times. But, you know, Cambridge yeah. University has its status. I know he, he was uh, very impressed by that. And I thought to myself, you idiot. That's all he needed. Right. And right. Um, so, so many people make life very, very superficial. Well, and I'm going fact, to read a... Pa I, oh, sorry, yeah. go on. I want to read a passage from your book, Stepping Between Realities. Okay, so this passage I, I think is perfect for where we're, where we're where we are in this conversation and where I'd like to go next. Okay, so Michael says, a paradox of which you will for eternity be a part. As you pause in the center of this aspect of the creation of a star cluster within a galactic system, so an aspect of your energy field is being incorporated into it. You cannot be consciously within creation without influencing the outcome, just as you, a being, are the outcome of your creating, developing your own state of consciousness. Add to this all consciousness that you consciously mix and mingle within the forms of gas, minerals, animals, plants, people, etc., all these become, or I'm sorry, all this becomes holistically incorporated into the beingness you are. And then there's the statement, oh my gosh, my energy in a star cluster, 
But by the same token, just as whatever animal or plant I interact with affects me, so I affect the consciousness of that species. And then the reply, of course, but the key is being conscious. If you live subconsciously, you have little impact on the consciousness of life. When you live consciously, the impact is major. That's right. Yep, good stuff, huh? <laughs> it is. And it's like, you know, Nelson Mandela said hiding your gifts underneath of, I don't know, this is paraphrased, under like a bushel barrel is like hiding hiding your light from all of us. It's like let your light shine let your consciousness shine and like to to actually go in your mind with that imagination piece you were talking about being able to imagine being part of the galaxy of the star galaxy of of, of that expansion to be to go out that far and then to bring it back inside of course because if you go out that far it becomes part of you that's correct yeah i mean i as as probably people who read my books know, I travel in my, I metaphysically travel in my light body. Once you do that, there's no, you know, you can be anywhere or anywhere you choose. And I learned to step between realities um, not so very long ago, a few years ago. And uh, when it's like if you sit in your garden and you really connect with um, everything around you in your garden, you affect it, you affect its development, it affects you. My latest book on gardening is called Conscious Gardening, which is available in America, certainly via, um, certainly on the um, Kindle or, you know, in, in, in e-books. Amazon, it's on, on Amazon. But the point I'm getting is when you go into a garden and you're conscious, then you become, the garden becomes a meeting place between you and nature, and nature becomes a teacher. So I can still, and I'm a very good gardener, I can still go into the garden and come out and I've learned more. I know more than when I went in. It's a knowing that comes directly. It's not what I call knowledge. Most people walk the path of knowledge. But we have the ability because every, all, all energy is one, all consciousness is one. We have the ability to um, assimilate and connect with the energy of the universe in which we live. So if you have a question in your head, then the answer's always, um, you're always connected to the answer unless you believe in separation and then we have to ask somebody else a question. But, uh, so when I was out in that system, and um, which, you know, I was, I was learning a lot, when I was out there, the very fact that I was in the center of it means that, yes, an essence of me would go into it which I found in a modern language rather cool. But um, it's the same in a garden. If you sit there and you're conscious, people don't realize that everything in nature is fully conscious. Everything is conscious. The path of life is conscious intelligence. The path of humanity is stumbling along. is a path of the subconscious intellect. Con- conscious intelligence does not pollute the earth. It does not pollute the um, water. It does not pollute the oceans or the air or the food and contaminate everything. It doesn't exploit other people. So we're not a species that uses much conscious intelligence. We're pretty much stuck in subconscious intellect. But the point I'm making here is we're in a change. And as that change, which began at the end of 2012, as that change 
begins to sweep through, you're going to see more and more polarization of people and the earth will hold balance because the point of balance is changing and will keep changing for certainly in the next 20 years or so. But uh, the earth does not recognize a person or a species in its subconscious. So although the earth recognizes humanity as a whole, nobody makes a connection with nature just by walking outside and talking to it. You've got to do that consciously. You've got to make it. And so if you're conscious when you go outside, the earth will connect with you and you connect with the earth. But just walking around and running about as people do, that is just deep subconscious stuff and there's no connection with the earth because the earth is conscious and only recognizes consciousness. And subconscious is a long way from being fully conscious. And it's interesting, when we go out and we walk on a field or in a garden, we think we're on a little piece of the planet, but the planet has no consciousness of pieces. The planet is holistic. And so when you walk on the earth, you're walking on the whole earth. In, in your back garden, you're walking on the whole earth. And you're in connection with the whole earth, if you're conscious. Otherwise, the idea that I'm on a piece of earth in America, in a state in America, is just so much nonsense. The earth has no, um, you know, the life on earth is not that way to earth. And so humanity has got a long way to go to make the copy the connection with the earth that a rabbit simply has, simply by being conscious of his life. But we can do that, and I guess increasingly people are. I'm certainly teaching that, among the other things I teach. Well, and Michael, you do these five-day intensives, you know, um, helping people realize what unconditional love looks, feels, and is, and then you talk about you know, the meaning of life, um, and then you bring in the healing aspect. Um, and, and you talk a lot about the emotional healing, which, um, which I think so many of our physical illnesses that people are experiencing right now are from emotional illnesses of spiritual uh, deprivation not being connected to people. But, you know, the emotional um, part of well, let's just talk about that. I mean, whatever you would like to share, but I think that so many people that are ill, are it's from former emotions that have been trapped, shall we say, inside their mind and their body and their spirit. Well, you know, I get a lot of therapists that come to my intensives, a lot of therapists, and no therapist, no doctor, no hospital has anybody there who where the, where the deepest subconscious cause of their whatever the sickness is, is emotional. We have, uh, the, emotionally, we are powerhouse. The, the mental body is, is nothing compared to the emotions. Every time a physical body dies, the emotional continues on. Now, the mental body, if it's based in the intellect, the intellect um, is based in the brain, but the emotion's not, so we have an emotional body. The um, a mental body is based in conscious intelligence and so when we our intellect determines the intellect has its own language I won't go into that it's too complex to put over on this but the the um, emotions have their own language with nature with life with uh, with the planet and with other with um, with the whole cosmos 
And so when we're emotionally out of balance, you cannot be out of balance emotionally and healthy. There's no way. So when you have an emotional balance, then, you know, about 50 trillion cells will register that emotional balance. And there's a fair degree of physical health will go with that. But there's a, it's a whole issue of how people are, how they think, what they think of themselves. So when you live subconsciously, you have about 60,000 subconscious thoughts churning through your, through the head, through the, let's call it self-conservation, um, conservation every day. We're in this conversation with ourselves all the time, think, 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 two or three hundred words a minute, 60,000 thoughts a day. Every one of those thoughts is accompanied by a sub-emotional issue. So we have thoughts we're not listening to, triggering emotions we're not aware of, and people go through their day living their lives as an onlooker. They're not, so many people are not even a participant in their own life. They're a participant in the highlights of their life, but they don't participate in the overall um, movie of their life. They're just onlookers, like going watching life on a television screen, onlookers of their own life, watching, it, watching themselves do things they don't want to do, say things they don't want to say, think thoughts they're not aware of, and go to work and do things they hate doing because of the driving emotional fear that if they don't do this, their life will go down... The, you know, will, will, their life will be terrible. They won't have enough money. And so what people don't realize is that in every moment of your life, you are creating the direction and the content of every moment of your life. And for the most people on this planet, that, that um, is a program called more of the same. And more of the same doesn't work. It simply doesn't work. And so the increasing levels of sickness... You know, I'm trying to put too much in here into a too small a space. But that increasing level of sickness, we now have a new case of dementia every seven seconds. And this is the breakdown of our mental body because we have, we're so, we live so subconsciously, so unaware, so much a victim, so much anger, so much rage, so much blame. We're just lost in a vast uh, mental and emotional illusion. And the part that suffers most is the, is the emotional in all this. Emotionally, we do not do well. Well, and you know, I think that um, I think that that is that it, what's happening right now with all of these hospitals and all of I mean, and you're traveling globally, so you're seeing it from from a lot of different cultures and a lot of different. Ways of being, and you know, I once interviewed a woman from Poland who um, was not Christian at all, but her daughter was dying, and as she was standing at her daughter's um, bed right before she crossed over, she said Jesus was standing at the end of the bed, and she said, "You know, I'm not, I'm not even a Christian," and she says, "But Jesus was surrounded by light, and he said." something to the effect that do not let your daughter's dying be for nothing. Like, remember this light. Remember this love that you're feeling. And somehow that light filled her and was able to, like, help her release her daughter. 
And she felt that light, and now she is teaching doctors and nurses and other people in a weekend setting how to fill themselves with that light and how to take that healing light and love and help others feel that light and love. And miracles are happening. Miracles are happening. And to to me, that's what you're... Yeah, that's what you're doing, Emily. You're you're making it even simpler. You're making it well. I wouldn't say simpler, but you're you're getting people out of the analytical mind, which is lovely that they have a brilliant analytical mind. I give thanks for mine every day. But where the real power is, is in the heart, and Absolutely. being so very present with people. And and it's it can be frightening for people who don't even know how to gaze into someone's eyes. We both know this. I mean, that's basically it. If a person can learn to live from their heart instead of from their head. I mean, we have, a, we have about 85% of the human population today is left brain dominant. And left brain is competitive, left brain gets angry, left brain likes to fight, and left brain likes to compete. And although I can't go into this, nothing in nature competes. The fact that we think we see competition in nature is simply coming from our own competitive intellect. People don't look at nature the way it is. They look through the eyes of the intellect. They look through the eyes of their beliefs, through the eyes of their knowledge. They look through everything but the eyes of immediacy. And if they were able to do that, from the immediate, fully conscious moment, they would find that nature is an ongoing, vast and intricate series of total cooperation. Until it comes to humanity, we don't know how to cooperate. And so left brain drives all the competition and everything else um, that, that is, puts us into negative, aggressive um, situations over and over and over. When you live from the heart, you see life in a completely different way. There's nothing to compete with. It doesn't matter how thick the traffic is. You've got time to go through it. There's no rush and hurry. Um, it doesn't matter... What people argue about, there's nothing to argue about because you have an inner sense, you have a sense, you're connected with inner peace. It's a completely different way, and it's the new way. The way of the heart is the way in toward the new. The way of the left brain dominant, the, the, the drive of fear, as opposed to the, um, the drive of love. Uh, they're the two different directions humanity's heading. And there's a, uh, it's a, we're at an interesting time because humanity for the first time ever is moving into two completely different directions and there will become a great movement of apartness um, which means that we still, there's no separation but that humanity will move probably for the first time in certainly this cycle of humanity will move in two completely different directions. And as you've read my book, there are, there are probabilities for us which are already populated and happening. And though some of those probabilities are very, very nice ones. We call them future probabilities because everything is a probability in the moment you're living. And there's no such thing as destiny or this will happen. It's all probabilities. And the probability is that most people will stay with the probability of their past. What I like to do is break the probability of the past in people who do the intensives and, and help them and show them how to create completely new probability paths that take them toward unconditional love. 
Well, and you find pathways that people can understand. And um, I, w- I want to read another excerpt from your book, but before I do that, I, I, India, I, I have just... Okay, um, okay, go I, ahead. I, I try to get people to take pathways that they don't understand. This is the problem. The, part, the pathway of understanding just takes you back into the past because understanding means you've got to compare the moment with something that's already happened, then you understand. And so when people say, I understand, I sort of sigh because understanding, nobody ever says, this is the trick of the intellect. If you say, I understand, we always assume we're right. But people understand and simply join the mob who got it completely wrong. But they feel safety in numbers, so they understand. I'm showing people there's a path. You don't need to understand, you feel. You don't need your brain understanding your intellect involved. You move into your heart and you move from a point of feeling which is based in intuition and the pineal and a whole brain energy. And so you can, I never followed a path that I understood. I had no idea what was going on, but it was a path that led me to the place I'm at today. And the place I'm at today is a very beautiful place. I experienced... Um, Holistic enlightenment. Now, holistic enlightenment is very different from spiritual enlightenment. There are many, many spiritually enlightened people who have got their ticket back because although they're spiritually enlightened emotionally, they're very ill-equipped. They haven't grown emotionally. And that's, you know, the emotional body is the, is the, is the one that most matters. In other words, if you learn to grow emotionally, um, you will grow spiritually but you can grow spiritually and not grow emotionally. And so we're holistic beings. If you grow spiritually and emotionally, then your mental body will fit itself in perfectly because it's not, a very, it's not nowhere near as strong as the power of our emotions. And so the mental body always wants to understand. What I take people on is the path that they don't need to understand. It's the path of feeling. It's the path of trust. It's the path of intuition. It's the path of developing the pineal. And it's the path of connecting all this with the whole brain energy. And it's the path that brings incredible results to people. Wow. And this is the wisdom. This is is your wisdom. This is your doorway into um, helping people... You know, I, I, I heard the words, I don't know if you've ever read Stranger in a Strange Land, but the words, I grok. It's like, I grok. I get it. it I totally, know. Yep. I love it. Yep. It's like, it, it's it's an onomatopoeia. You hear it, I grok, and you just are like, even if you don't know what it means, you kind of get it. And yep. so um, so the part, the, the, what, what you just shared, these doorways and, you know, not understanding with, this now relates to the past. It's like moving forward. And I love what you talk about when someone says, um, where do you come from? Where do you flow to? From and to are meaningful in the physical world, but when you are one with the energy of the world, your question becomes meaningless. Flowing is my beingness. I love this part. This is considered to be a world of land by land dwellers, but but it is truly a water world. I struggle to remember we have a drought where I live in a water world. Drought is not the absence of water. 
Drought is the absence of energy flow. Humans do nothing but interfere with flow, rarely facilitating it. What impedes flow? Human greed interferes with flow. Human corruption interferes with flow. Control interferes with flow. Ripping open the skin of the earth interferes with the flow. Destroying the forest interferes with the flow. Killing each enough. I get your meaning. And then... Where, you, where your people live, ownership of a place interferes with flow. If your humanity was nomadic, you would, you would all grow in consciousness at a greatly accelerated speed. Nothing to own, nothing to possess, nothing to cling to. All these interfere with, interfere with the flow. The other person, many people have no homes, neither do they have flow. I love this. Child, they lost flow long, long before they lost their homes. Losing flow is why they lost and are losing their homes. Do you not see this? So I love how you talk about this flow. And I'd love for you to do anything else you want to add to it because it's consciousness. And I love how you put this. Yeah, it's um, it's something very important in my life, flow. Like um, just recently we had um, four suitcases. We left London Heathrow with four suitcases, and when we arrived in Berlin, we had no suitcases. They'd managed to do the long, wrong labeling, and they all went to the wrong places. <laughs> and so, um, so you, just, you just don't get upset. You just think, okay, you do a bit of phoning, or you get somebody who speaks German to do a bit of phoning, and you just, um, you just go with it. You just go with the flow. You haven't got them, so it's no good kicking up a fuss. And you just move with the energy. It is as it is. And so you move with the energy. And then two came along, and Carolyn got the one she most needed. And I was happy with that. And mine turned up three days later. And um, and you just go with the flow. It's all okay. Nothing terrible is going to happen. You, um, you, you, know, you just wear the same clothes a few days longer. You don't shave because you haven't got a shaver. Well, so what? None of that matters. You just move with the flow of energy. You don't oppose it. And so that's how I do my gardening. I don't oppose the flow of energy in the garden. And Carolyn and I, and she's very good with this, we move with the flow of energy that life has. And so you just go with the flow. It's like, I like what Robert Henlein said with the word grok. I'd forgotten that. It's like I teach people how to grok instead of understanding. Just grok. And uh, I, might go, I, might use, I might use a word with his... Um, He's no longer using it, so I'm sure he won't mind. In fact, he'd probably come and listen to me for a little while. And so the flow and rock and things like that, we need a new language. We need a language that covers holistic creation rather than the language of separation and everything the way we have it today. We need a way to, to describe living it is as it is. That's, my, that's one of my statements that I love to live and that's another way of saying going with the flow. It is as it is. And so just be with it. Move with it. Flow with it. Don't oppose it. And uh, everything seems to... doesn't mean everything goes right all the time, but that right doesn't rattle your bars. It doesn't rattle your cage. It doesn't upset you. It doesn't make you reactive and aggressive and angry. It's okay. You just move with it. And then you learn... What did we do to cause this? And you learn then that we had little grumbles about pulling suitcases around. I call it the, la- the age of bags, the bag age and the lug age. 
And so the direction, the energy of those, um, that humour was probably slightly negative against having bags. So suddenly we didn't have bags. And so then we say, thank you, life, that's a good lesson. We won't do it that way anymore. And we'll be very happy to pull our bags around. And so everything, every little thing is, is life just teaching you one more step along the path. Yeah. It's a surrender. But it's a surrender and a flow at the same time. And it's like, right. it's just so different. Right. It's a different you, way. Yeah. When you oppose it, you miss all that. You miss all the little teachings that life offers along the way. Like as I wrote in that book when I believed for 40 years that humans couldn't incarnate into an animal. And then one woman stands in front of me one day and says, well, I don't agree. I think they can. And so I look at it. That's me putting myself in front of me to try to get me to look at a 40-year belief. And so I smiled at her and said, thank you very much for that. I'll look into it. Because she was me. Everybody is you. There's nothing outside of self. So she was me giving me the, um, telling me what I needed to hear. So instead of frowning at her and saying, well, I don't agree with that, don't believe you, then I looked at her and said, thank you. That's exactly what I needed to hear. So I investigated it and you've read the results. Yes. And you know, when you were talking about the intelligence of animals, um, I was just reminded, you know, when you see the gaggle of geese flying, you know, they know when to head south, they know when to go north. But what is true about the geese, and I didn't know this until, you know, the last couple of years I read an article on it, that if one of the of the, the flock has something that they can't keep up, like, for you know, maybe an illness or a wing or whatever, they never yeah. leave that uh, goose behind. They always leave someone with them. Yeah. And to help. Now, that is intelligence. That is intelligence so that then when the when they're ready, they fly together. And, yes, they have the intelligence to catch up with their flock or not, but they're, but they're never alone. That's right. The, um, you know, there is, you have, a, you have a, basically a flock, like a gaggle of geese. You have, the, you have the intelligence of the overall lot. And all animals have conscious intelligence. They certainly don't use it in the way that a human is capable of using conscious intelligence, except that we hardly ever use conscious intelligence. Um, We just generally go along with subconscious intellect. But yes, everything like that has, and there's an awareness. There's awareness. That's part of the gaggle. Well, a gaggle of geese is part of the flock, and in losing the part, they lose a part of the whole. So for them, the one is part of is is not a part of the whole. It's the whole in a part. They think it, I mean they don't think at all. But that's the way their consciousness works. It's like we don't understand animals. If you get a fox goes in a chicken run, it kills them all. And then people say the fox is a murderer. It only needed one. But a fox is used to jumping on say a covey of partridges or a few pheasants, and they all fly away. It kills one. But when you're in the chicken run or the chicken house, it jumps on one, but they're still all flying around. And the fox doesn't say, hey, it doesn't matter, I've got one. For the fox, it therefore hasn't killed one. So it kills another one. And there's more flying, so it hasn't killed one yet. And so it'll end up, let's say, there were five in that chicken run. It'll kill all of them. And then it's got the one. The one is dead now. And then it picks the one up and goes away. It has no sense of I've left four of them laying behind because... 
it, it's, it's, its program is to kill one. Its biological whole thing is to kill one. When it kills one, there aren't others flapping around it. So it continues to kill until it's killed one, which might be four or five or more. It's the same with dingoes, with sheep. And so it goes on with wolves and sheep in America. In other so, words, nature never, nature never contained right. the animals. Humans do that. Right. Right, right. It's uh, it's just a whole whole everything. Um, but listeners, I want to give contact information. Michael is, as he shared with us, has just arrived in Germany. He and his wife Carolyn, but, but they are coming to the U.S. and they are coming to one of my favorite places in the Midwest. They are coming to Unity Village, which is over 1,200 acres of land that are tended to and cared for by many volunteers. There are teams of volunteers that come up every single year. They plan their vacations around coming and tending Unity Village. And there's a um, there's just uh, there's just state-of-the-art everything there. It's the Unity Principles, and there's a tower there that is now expanded with spa services, and there's beautiful rooms, and there's a beautiful conference center. And it's right near Kansas City. And um, Michael will be leading a five-day intensive there starting on July 22nd through the 26th. Um, Unity is really, really good about, like, if you want a roommate and you don't have one, there's different pricing structures there. They have different housing things. Um, but what is definitely true about Unity is they, they nurture you from the time you arrive. There are sacred gardens. There, it's, I can't even go on and on. So for you to have picked this as your spot for the conference, Michael, I'm just, you know, it's just beautiful. So I want to give some contact information. You can find out a lot of this information at Michael's website, which is Michael Road, USA, Rhodes, rather, USA.com, and that's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-R-O-A-D-S, USA.com. You can also um, email uh, info at michaelrhodesusa.com or you can call um, Thane Kraut or Karen Pistoni at 303-906-0928. I'll repeat that number. It's 303-906-0928. There's a wonderful article about the power of transformation by, uh, by Michael in the um, June issue of Spirit Seeker, which you can read uh, Spirit Seeker online, and it is on page four. And, you know, you you this is a treat for Michael to be here. And, you know, many people have never been to Unity Village, so wherever you are in the U.S., it's not hard to get to. There's there's even a train station, I think, where they'll pick you up or they have – don't worry about it. You just, they, they actually – Okay. Um, okay. So, Michael, thank you so much for being my guest today. And um, Michael Rose, uh, USA.com. And just as always, from my heart to your heart, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're so busy, but thank you for the work you are doing, the play, the opening of hearts you're doing. Thank, okay. thank you. Cindy. Thank you so much. Okay. All right, Michael. Just answer and she talks to me. I don't know if you're all.